So you have to have something that's bigger than you that's driving you. And once you do that, like once you figure out what your purpose is, it's like you can fill out 200 applications, right? And get 200 no's. You only need one yes, <laughs> you know? And so like, you know, that, that's my mindset. Welcome to For The Culture Podcast, where we and our guests discuss our lived experiences in science. This podcast explores how our work and mere presence impact our culture today. This podcast is an unfiltered conversation and really more of a therapy session where we can vent and um, hopefully the audience can benefit from our experiences. This podcast provides a platform for emerging and current scientists to discuss their development as individuals and community leaders in order to help and improve our culture. All right, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Hope everybody's had a great week. Uh, this time of the year is, is I'm, I'm loving it, man. This is why I moved to Georgia. I love the fall weather <laughs> because every day is like 70 degrees, perfect AC outside. I am, I'm, I'm loving it. Coming from Florida, it's a big deal. <laughs> and it's cold in PA right now. It is super cold. Well, it's it's not too it bad. was almost I'm, 80 degrees today. It was, it was actually kind of, kind of hot today. Yeah, I can't tell if I need a jacket or I'm good. Like, by, by this time of night, you need a little something. So it's, it's that time. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a great show in store today. A special guest is in the building. Uh, let me introduce our guest to the For the Culture podcast audience today. Today, we have Dr. Marlon Fuller. He is a pharmacist, entrepreneur, inventor, philanthropist, and a father of four with years of experience in the hospital, retail, and pharmaceutical industries. He's originally from Long Beach, California, but he currently lives in the Orlando, Florida area with his family. He received his doctoral degree uh, in pharmacy from the University of Connecticut and completed an executive leadership training course from Cornell University. Dr. Fuller currently works as a senior medical science liaison with Biogen Medical Affairs in their Alzheimer's division. Now, outside of work, he and his wife are focused on mentorship and running their nonprofit organization, which teaches kids around the ages of 8 to 16 nationwide about finances, investing, and real estate. Now, last year, they educated well over 6,000 kids, you know, 6,000 kids, and have reached millions uh, uh, with their with the support of celebrity supporters uh, who reshared uh, their lessons. And these celebrities included T.I., DJ Clue, Anthony Anderson, Dio Hughley, Raven Simone, and Super Bowl champ Sammy Watkins, just to name a few. Their nonprofit organization also educates over 2,000 parents from underserved communities on how to form an LLC, something that I, I would like to learn how to do, uh, how to develop business credit, and how to create new income streams by starting an Airbnb or Turo business. His long-term pursuits are transitioning into leadership within the pharmaceutical industry to improve diversity, which is very, very important. Uh, become an author of a, well, a wealth-building uh, book for teens and launching his TV app uh, to educate families worldwide on financial literacy and impact uh, to impact the wealth gap among Black, Brown, and poor communities. Uh, there's so many more things I could talk about and say uh, to introduce Dr. Uh, Fuller, but that would take up the show and probably even a lot more. So without further ado, let me introduce everyone to Dr. Marlon Fuller. Welcome to the show. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Lawrence, Kofi, Ian, yeah, thanks for having me. I, I really do appreciate it. I'm glad that I can be here to join you all today and have some um, some good conversation. And and um, hopefully somebody out there can learn a few things out of it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by the show today. Uh, this show is uh, dedicated towards uh, just exposing others about what science, what sciences look like. And so just to get us started, can you talk about, uh, since you are a pharmacist, can you talk about like your journey to become that? How did you get started in STEM? What was that spark that kind of led you on, on that path? Well, uh, great question, uh, Lawrence. I think for me, uh, I always knew that science was my thing. It was either science or math. Uh, I excelled at both of those early on um, in elementary school middle school, high school. I remember when I was in middle school um, and I was in middle school at the time in New Haven, Connecticut. And so there was a math examination and I scored first out of all the middle schoolers in the whole county. And I think we had maybe uh, seven or eight middle schools. So it was a pretty big um, accomplishment. And so like math, but math always came easy to me. So I was just uh, kind of blessed, but also like numbers, right? I, I like stuff that made sense. It's like, you know, English, not so much because it was subjective. I love the objective part. Like I love that there was no there was no gray to math. It was like black and white. And science was the same thing. And so I think early on it really engaged me and stimulated me. And I just love that fact. And so um I, I think I had a, a couple of people that steered me more towards the science piece. I remember I had a a middle school teacher, he was like, hey, Marlon, this is what's going on as a teacher, because I wanted to be a, a, a math teacher originally. And he said, this is what math teachers have to deal with. <laughs> this is how much we get paid. Uh, these are the limitations that school systems put on us and what we're dealing with, not only with the students, but with parents. And I was just like, hmm, maybe I'll go into science. <laughs> You know, so he he was just he basically dissuaded me from being a math teacher. And he was just like, you know, because I grew up poor. Um, I grew up between trailer parks and projects in the inner city. And so he was just saying, you may want to consider more the science side because that's going to give you more options for um, different income brackets. And so um, kind of mixing what I was naturally good at math and science and the fact that I really wanted to. Um, better myself and get out of my financial situation. Because just for some background, um, my father wasn't around. And so from the age of 10, I was pretty much, that was the last time my mother bought me school clothes. From the age of 10, I was working. Um, and so like I bought my own cars, my own insurance. I did everything. Age of 10, that was the last time my mother bought me anything because I had to, because it was needed. And so when I heard that message from him, it was more like, all right, let me look into the science stuff. And then I started, you know, we didn't have uh, Google out there, but I started uh, researching a little bit more uh, as to what options were available and income streams and things like that and salaries. And I said, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. So I eventually got a, uh, a job as a pharmacy technician while I was in high school. And I said, yeah, I love the whole pharmacist aspect. I love the fact that we were able to provide free education in the community 
far as a healthcare perspective. Pharmacists, of course, at that point were some of the most trusted uh, in healthcare and the most accessible. Like you just can't go anywhere else and get like free advice. And so that just, you know, giving back to the community and uh, the science aspect is what really led me to pharmacy. I got to just cut in for a second because uh, my 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 father is, uh, well, he just retired as a math teacher. He was a math teacher for almost 30 years in the uh, New York City public schools. And uh, a lot of what you were warned about, I definitely grew up <laughs> hearing him uh, tussle with. Um, and so that, that, that's just interesting, you know, just how life works, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, what's what one person's path is you know, God puts different people in a in a particular place for you, and they and they lead you down a completely different path, which is obviously what what, what end up being best for you, right? So it's, it's interesting how you know we we uh, make our plans or what have you, but at the at the end of the day, the only thing that we really can do is set do our due diligence and set ourselves up for whatever might might be next, you know. So yeah, there's there's a. Um... Uh, there's a rapper. He's a friend of mine. He's on uh, T.I.'s uh, Grand Hustle label. His name is Trans Lee. Trans Lee has a verse that he did. Um, and I'm I'm old school hip hop, so I'm a little bit older than you guys. Just, I got you by a couple of years. But one of the verses, uh, Kofi, that he said, he said, you see how God be closing doors? Well, he got something better for you. The world may have you 38, but he got something special for you. So he's like, he, he made a playoff of 38 special, which is a gun, right? But he said, you see how God be closing doors, but he got something better for you. The world may have you 38, but he got something special for you. Um, I think that's that's the thing. It's just like you may have a path in life that you are on. But sometimes, you know, I have this theory. It's called the open door theory. For my life, it's been true. Um, it's just a theory. Right. But uh, open door theory, I say, you know, it's something I created and thought of is that. When you're on the right path, God opens up the right doors for you and he puts the right people in your life in order for you to fulfill his purpose. Right. And so I now looking back on it, sometimes you can't understand why doors closed and why the certain things aligned. Right. But for me, I think God put him in my life around me to say, all right, you're not supposed to be a math teacher. Right. You're supposed to go this science route and the science route is going to give you a a bigger salary potential, a bigger sphere of influence, right? Because what I'm doing in the community now, um, having an MBA versus a doctorate, uh, that doctorate hit harder when I'm talking to parents, when I'm out there talking even to, in my current role, in my nine to five in corporate America, right? Having that doctorate, it gives you more credibility, right? It opens more doors for you. And then the income that that provides um, you know, I believe in, you know, taking a piece and, and, and giving back and doing some God's work with it. So God is dope. I like that on your shirt. And uh, I respect that. I respect that movement. And, I, and I'm in alignment with it. And so, like, I'm able to bless more because God has blessed me with more. And so uh, and now I'm still I'm still teaching. Right. I'm just teaching in a dis- different capacity. I'm not a math teacher, but I'm a science teacher. Right. And so when I'm talking to Ph.D.s. MDs, nurse practitioners, um, advanced practice providers, uh, whoever, right, or even nurses or, you know, PharmDs. When I'm talking to healthcare providers in general, I'm able to uh, teach, you know, that's what my role is about. 
So they can call it whatever they want to call it. So in medical affairs, I'm a MSL, right? A senior medical science liaison. But at the end of the day, I'm really a teacher, all right? And so now I'm not a math teacher, I'm a science teacher. And um, that's kind of the way it goes. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the fact that I am where I am, you know. Um, I have a question. Uh, yeah. How do you think your involvement being a pharmacist first and having that outreach with the community, I know that was an incredible experience. How do you think that prepares you for your role as an MSO? Well, it, it, a lot of things are transferable. And great question, Ian. Thanks for asking that. All of these things are transferable, right? And so um, when you talk about being uh, a leader, right, a project manager, I had to manage flu clinics. I had to manage uh, payrolls, scheduling. I had to do uh, all type of outreach at assisted living facilities. Uh, at the time, I was working um, at a retail pharmacy. And so we were doing $4 generics, educating seniors about that. Uh, we were going out doing flu clinics out in the community, all of these different things and being a free resource um, and engaging and interactive. There's a lot of things that um, being a pharmacist and having that experience, they said you need to be a master at anything. You need to practice your craft for 10,000 plus hours, right? And so there's part of the craft that helped me be successful as an MSO was a lot of that stuff. You're talking about project management. You're talking about, um, you know, motivational interviewing. You're talking about being a resource, uh, strategic thinking, um, all of these different things. And, you know, people management, all of these different things can help you. And then I think, you know, you, you, you gain a whole level, a different level of sympathy and empathy being in that role because you hear a lot of stories, you see a lot of people and you be able, you're able to connect with them a different way. So like when I go in and talk to at HCP, uh, I'm not going in there, uh, like I'm not going in there as an MSO. I'm not going in there uh, thinking about prescriptions or anything like that. I'm going in there to listen. I'm going in there to try to help them and be a partner with them. And so being a pharmacist allowed me to do that, you know, so I would I would partner with um, pediatricians and doctors and things like that. Um, for example, they would uh, write for something that's something that they wrote for wasn't on that patient's uh, insurance plan that was on their formulary. It wasn't covered. So the the provider and I, we had to, you know, have a, a kind of symbiotic relationship. So I would say, hey, doc, um, this is uh, what is covered. And out of these options, I think that maybe this would be better based on guidelines. You know, so you were able to have those kinds of discussions, not only in retail, but even in uh, when I was a hospital pharmacist. As hospital pharmacist, you had a whole different level of engagement with providers because you would do rounds with them. Um, we were do susceptibility tests, there were protocols, there was a whole bunch of different things. I would be able to write for antibiotics, some therapies based on lab values. I would do uh, cumin dosing, things like that. So, uh, you know, all of that, I think, you know, prepared me for what I'm doing now is like being able to partner and have relationships, uh, have dialogue, uh, study the latest guidelines, all of those things. So my next question is like, can you go into a little bit more detail about what an MSL is, a medical science liaison, uh, for those who don't under who don't know what that role is, and kind of like uh, 
what are the typical avenues to get there outside of pharmacy? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what is an MSL? So MSL works. There's there's different divisions within the pharmaceutical industry. So you have the commercial side, the sales side. Um, those are uh, generally people that um, call on providers, um, give them a, a plethora of information, and really everybody in pharma is connected. We're all uh, kind of one unit. We just have different roles. And so there's no, like I'm in medical affairs and in medical affairs, there's um, on my team or general in medical affairs, there may be PhDs on your team, MDs, nurse practitioners, sometimes nurses, PharmDs, um, PAs even. They're usually advanced degree folks in science that are in medical affairs. But we work really closely with um, people not only on the commercial or sales side, um, but also with market access. Market access to those folks that are helping um, those providers with um, payer uh, questions, um, copay assistance, all of those different things. Um, and then there's a research and development side as well, where it's usually like early stage um, investigation of different molecules. And so, um, so I'm in medical affairs. Um, my avenue to, to get there and what we do in medical affairs, we, um, we you know, recommend sites for clinical trials. Um, we're there to answer questions that are off-label. Uh, something that is off-label is something that is outside of the um, package insert, the prescriber information. Uh, something that's outside of that, um, from a commercial compliance perspective, commercial or sales colleagues, they can only speak to how the medication was approved, for example. So whatever's in that package insert, that's all they can speak to. If, if the provider has a question outside of that, they send that request to us in medical affairs. And so uh, whoever's in the field covering that region, covering that territory, they would respond and um, you know speak to that next level of depth that that provider is looking for. Um, we sometimes we um, educate, we do educational um, things out there. We cover conferences to get the latest and greatest that are going on. Um, we bring that back to our team. We also use that information to educate the uh, healthcare providers that are in our territory. So that makes us more, um, you, you know, uh, a robust uh, source of information. So um, how did I get into you know, medical affairs and being an MSL, it was kind of non-traditional to tell you the truth. Uh, so as a pharmacist, I started in retail, worked in hospital, worked in um, the insurance side with Medicaid, and then I transitioned into a market access role. And so like I was telling you, like market access is usually dealing with payers and things like that and, reimb and reimbursement to a certain extent. That was my entry into pharma. Uh, I was originally looking to get into medical affairs, but the opportunities weren't available. A lot of the roles that I was looking for, they say, you need experience. You need experience. I'm like, how am I gonna get experience if nobody willing to give it to me? You know what I mean? And so that was the roadblock. And so what I, what I mentor other folks that's trying to get into the territory, I tell them to take a buckshot approach. I said, apply for everything, whether you think you're qualified or not, let them tell you you're, that you're not qualified. Don't, sh don't like a lot of times I don't even read the description because I can do anything. Like, you know, you can't put a role in front of me that I can't do. So like, 
I don't even look at the description. I more look, look at the territory and the disease state and the culture of the organization, things like that. But outside of that, if it's a CEO position, VP position, um, I don't believe you need experience to do these things. Um, because my uh, what I've seen in my career is that uh, sometimes it's who you know that gets you to these levels, right? I think a lot of us, we don't know enough of those people to get those opportunities. But I've seen people in the course of years jump a whole bunch of steps, right? They'll start at level one. Two years later, they're at level five. And you'd like, how, how they do that? You're like, how they do that there? And they're like, that's what's happening out there. You know, so like, but I tell them, I say, you know, don't short, don't sell yourself short, right? Apply for everything, whether you think you're qualified or not. Let them tell you you're not qualified. So I was applying for all of these MSL positions because I know that from a commercial standpoint or a market access standpoint, you can't speak anything outside of that um, prescribing information packet, right? That package insert. And usually like if you know information and you can't share it, that's gonna probably be a little frustrating. So in medical affairs, you can speak more freely, right? You can speak about things that's not even approved yet, stuff that's coming up in the clinical trials, stuff, uh, different articles, journal reports, and all types of things. You can speak to all of those things. And so for me, I knew I wanted to be in medical affairs, but nobody was giving me an opportunity. And I applied for five years. Five years. Repeat that again, five years? Five years, right? Wow. So like, even when I got, so I was applying for about a year and a half or so before I got the one opportunity in market access, about a year and a half, right? Um, got an opportunity, stayed in that role, did another market access role, did a sales role, um, and then eventually got an opportunity with a, a medical affairs role. At the point where I got that medical affairs role, it was five years later after applying I probably put in over 200 applications for it to be an MSO. We're not getting opportunity. We're not getting opportunities like everybody else is. Nobody has put in more edu- more more applications than me, and nobody has probably been as um, qualified from a diverse perspective as me. You know what I didn't mention is that outside of work before um, you know going into medical affairs, I was an entrepreneur. So you know I've been with my own money. You know, I had 40 plus employees, you know, so when I tell you I'm a boss, it's just like I can pretty much run any give me a company. I can run it, you know, but no one was giving me these opportunities. Right. Even though I was a boss, I had all of these this good experience, like not only retail, hospital, managed care. I had all of this wealth of information and um, I kill interviews like, you know, I just like talking to people. So like it wasn't that. It's just a lot of times um, you have to be, I don't know if you guys are into Hamilton, but one of the, the musical is they, you know, one of the verses say, you know, I want to be in the room when it happens, the room when it happens. A lot of times we're not in the room when these conversations are happening. So anyway, I digress. 200 plus applications later, after going a non-traditional route into, um, into pharma um, through market access, through sales, I eventually get a, a, a medical affairs role. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, that opportunity came from a, uh, a white female whose husband was black. 
Why that's impactful is because she realized that there was a disparity that was happening in pharma when you talk about diversity, right? And so she strategically wanted her team to be as diverse as possible. So on her team, it didn't match the demographics of the US, right? We know the demographics when you talk about uh, the Hispanic, Latinx population, Black, African-American population, white, and all this Asian. We know the demographics. Her team was about two to three times the diverse demographics based on the population. And it was strategically because I believe she saw that in pharma, we just weren't getting an equal shake, you know? And so she, she strategically made her team as diverse as possible and gave people on her team opportunities that most pharma companies, in my experience, wouldn't have given those opportunities to. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you all have this podcast and this program going on because it's not only about uh, showcasing what everybody's doing and giving them a little bit of information about what is truly in these roles. What do these roles entail? But how do you navigate the waters? And then how do you uh, raise others as you rise? You know, so that's what that's what it's about. So that that passion plus potential equal purpose in my background. That's that's strategic. You know, it's like how can you utilize your passions and maximizing your potential um, to live a purposeful life? And you know, I think the true measure of a purpose, a true measure of a person, is not. Uh, what they've done or who they are, but um, how have you helped others that you wouldn't necessarily have to help? I'm, uh, I'm giving you so, like super long answers. It's like, you didn't even, you didn't even ask all that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a question. Uh, how did you, I guess we, we have a lot of people come on the show, even us talking about our journey through science, how, you know, we thought things were going to go one way, they went another um, clearly that's happened to you, but you were just talking about applying for a role and having to repeat, applying, applying, applying. Like, how did you, how did you feel during that time? Is there any advice that you could give to anyone who's, you know, going through that uh, right now as either a student trying to break into industry or someone who's already in industry trying to break into the next role? Like, how did you kind of keep your mind together? Like, what were some of the things that motivated you to keep pushing? Yeah, well, I, I just, I think um, your motivation has to come from within. You know, for me, I just knew what my value was. Like, and, and I didn't, I wasn't seeking validation from somebody else. Like I knew what my worth was. And so I knew I belonged in, in that role, if not higher. And so um, I didn't let it discourage me. I think there's two things that you need. If you look at anybody who who's able to get to the next level, I think part of it is just persistency and consistency. They said, you know, um, persistency, what, 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 how does it go? It says um, consistency gets you to the game and gets you to, that, to the next level. And then persistency will keep you there. So it's about being persistent and consistent. And so I think, you know, that was my, my mindset, right? And so um, I know I had a goal and I was just going to keep going. And, you know, and this isn't this isn't the, the end all be all. You know, my, my goal is to to, to be much higher, um, get to many more levels, because I think there's a lot of things I've learned over the years that I can benefit um, a team. Right. 
some, you know, I'm a servant leader. I just have a lot of expertise and a lot of creative um, thinking strategies and uh, and collaborative uh, strategies that I have learned to utilize. Haven't been my own business owner, and so those would be some some examples. I say, you know, don't give up. You know, don't don't let somebody, um, you know, from a HR perspective. I'll tell you that. From an HR perspective and a recruiter perspective, they look at applications um, for about uh, four to 10 seconds. Hmm. A lot of times they, they only look at the cover letter. And one of the things I learned is that we're just submitting resumes and we should be doing like a one pager cover letter, right? Because if, if, that, if that recruiter has 150 applicants, what in that is going to set you apart, right? So I learned that halfway through the game. And so I, I had like a really like thorough one pager done and we just like, and made it specific to the um, the role. It was just like, this is why you need me. I'm going to do my research on your company. This is what I bring to the table. This is why you need to hire me. And, and, then, it's, and then I think the other thing is that um, you have to have a tribe. You have to have a team uh, supporting you. You know, you can't do these things in a silo. So you have to have your resume um, with a lot of recruiters, um, a ton of recruiters, and, and keep keep them up to date. Uh, check in with them every three to four months if you're still looking. And then uh, build your network. You have to know people in the industry and say, look, um, tap in. And, and check on me if you know of an opportunity. And I'm going to do the same, you know, periodically. And that's how I was telling Lawrence, you know, I told Lawrence, you know, he, he did his, um, he did a, a summer internship. Um, and I was just like, look, man, this stay connected, stay connected. Um, because, you know, the bigger your network is, the more your name is going to be in the room. I talked about being in the room when it happens. The bigger your network is, the more likelihood your name, if not you, but your name will be in that room when they're talking about opportunities. You know, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, this, this is a cool pharmacist out of Orlando. I like his vibe. He's killing it out there. He's just doing a lot of stuff. Doctors love him. He has a big heart. He's an expert at his craft, uh, very clinical, all of these different things. You want people to be speaking your name. And so um, those would be some of the, the, the ways to navigate those waters. I'm definitely hoping my name is uh, in this in those rooms because uh, I am looking for a job. <laughs> Graduation <laughs> is around the corner, so you know, keep 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 speaking my name. But yeah, uh, and you have to and you have to real quick, Lawrence. <laughs> you got to speak things into existence, right? It's oh like, yeah, um, definitely. We, definitely. I, I, I teach um, a lot of students. I told you about those six thousand students. We have something called the the mind, uh, mouth, and heart principle. Is like whatever you think in your mind, believe in your heart, and speak to your mouth is going to become your reality, right? So you got to think it, believe it, and speak it before it become reality. You know, a lot of people are just wishing out there, but they're not doing anything. So you want something like it's that buckshot approach. Apply for everything. You know, get your network, get your recruiters, and uh, something to pop off. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite quotes, which. Uh... I'm never good at quoting it exactly, but it pretty much goes like, you know, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. Mm, so I always mm. take that approach with everything that I do and just trying to go hard and go, go, for, go for the gold, you know? 
and then uh, just kind of work towards that. But I would like to learn a little more about where your entrepreneurship spirit, uh, where that spark emerged. Was it early on? Was it when you had to fend for yourself as early as as a child, or when did that really kind of take off? Because a lot of us are in this position right now where we're starting to grow our own businesses, and you know most businesses do fail, but what were some of the lessons that you learned early on that kind of helped you become who you are today? Yeah, great question. Thanks for asking, Lauren. Um, I grew up around entrepreneurs, so I grew up around bosses. And so my my father, he only went to the eighth grade, um, successful businessman. My uncle, he only went to the ninth grade, successful businessman. I see these people employ tens, if not hundreds of people. You know, and so like that's part of it. Right. It's just like you have to have book sense and, you know, all of the things that go behind that. So I'm a big advocate of, of, for um, higher, higher learning and higher education. But um, there's a lot of things that school just isn't going to teach you. School can't teach you to, to hustle. You know, school can't teach you to, to care about people in your community and hustle for them. Like at this point. I've already obtained everything in my life that I've ever wanted. You know, like the only thing I'm, I'm working now for other people and I'm not talking about my kids. I'm talking about I'm, I'm working now for people that I don't even know. Like I'm hustling now for people in the community that grew up like me. So like that, that is just part of it is just it got to be in you. You know, it's just like I'm not I'm on autopilot right now. The stuff that's coming my way. I told you open door theory we can have so many discussions about that in general. I know we're talking about science right now and like the industry, but when you're on the right wavelength and you have a tribe behind you, those doors just open up, they open up. So um, I think seeing it firsthand and knowing that you don't have to be a college graduate, you don't even have to be a high school graduate to be successful as an entrepreneur. To your point, Lawrence, yes, you know, like, 90, I think 90 plus percent of businesses fail. I forget the number, but it's really high. Um, I respect entrepreneurs because they know that the odds are stacked up against them going into it, right? Um, but if you look at anybody as successful, you name me somebody that's successful, that we, a billionaire or what what, what, what have you. Um, they failed numerous, numerous times before they got something to hit and they got something that took traction. Um, just, just name it, name somebody, you know? And so like, I think that's that persistency and consistency and that, that mindset. Um, it's just like, you can't fail. Like failure is not an option. What, what was that line? Um, TI had a line. He said, um, even when, uh, winning's illogical, losing still far from possible. Uh, wait, no, he said, even when, um, Winning's illogical. Losing is far from optional. It's just like, nah. Even when you the odds are stacked against you and you just think you're not going to be able to win, uh, failure is not an option. <laughs> it's like my brain just doesn't even work like that. Somebody tell me no, and that's just like not right now. Or like you tell me no, and I'm going to find a way around it. You know, when it comes to like an opportunity or like helping others, like no just doesn't exist in my my, uh, you know, my terminology. Um, so in my mindset, so I think that's part of just, um, some of that stuff has to be in you. 
that uh, Mamba mentality, right? Yeah, yeah. Kobe, Kobe <laughs> said it. And, and you have to have good mentors around you. Um, like I said, you can't do this stuff in a silo. You have to have some good mentors around you. I remember like the first person that I saw that had their doctorate that I really knew is a doctor of education. He was my middle school principal. It was Dr. Warner. And I still keep in touch with Dr. Warner. He was just like, they would call him Dr. Warner. I was just like, how he do that? Like, it was like, the, uh, I thought like the only real black doctor I knew, like I, like I didn't have any positive role models in my household. So like, um, that wasn't where I, I got my motivation because it was like, I, my motivation came outside the household for a bunch of different reasons. And so I was watching like the Cosby show, right? And, and, and Dr. Huxtable, right? And, and, you know, I was watching all that, right? So that's where I got a, a little bit of what life should be like. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's like sitcoms. And I was just like, oh, okay, so that's, that's what's up. But it was him that I was just like, oh, okay. Um, Dr. Warner, like, I like the respect he get. And I, like the, I like the fact that he's giving back. So I think he was one of my mentors, even though I never asked him to be my mentor. He was one of the people in the community you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade and middle school that I looked up to. And I was just like, I want to, I want to get to that level where I can give back. And so, and science was my thing. So I went to get my doctorate and uh, actually I, um, at the time I was so crazy, man. I was, I got a, a full ride, a four year scholarship to Chode Academy. So in Connecticut, this is where JFK went to school right now. Chode Academy, I think is just for high school is around sixty to seventy thousand dollars a year. So my grades, my grades were so crazy in middle school um, that I got a full ride for high school, and I turned it down because I didn't want to be away from my friends. So I told you that my I didn't have a lot of my parents didn't have a lot of common sense and a lot of direction because they didn't go to you know school wasn't their thing. But I actually got a four year scholarship to go to Chode Academy. Uh, which is where the elite, you know, all the senators and like, you know, multimillionaires send their kids there and they still do. Um, I even, you know, I, I got a scholarship to Yale. It wasn't a full scholarship, but I was originally thinking about becoming an MD. And so um, I had gotten into Yale, but Yale didn't offer me enough. So I was just like, nah, I'm going to go on the pharmacist route because I had this uh, opportunity in high school. So I had a lot of opportunities, but I think I, I ended up in the right place you know so um a little bit of background <laughs> so i had a quick question um it's not really a question but more so can you just speak on so or i, I should say elaborate further on what kind of gave you um that kind of don't quit mindset because i feel like you know those of us who feel that way or approach life in that manner you know we all kind of have slightly different stories regarding like things that happened to us that we had to respond to um, and lessons that we kind of learned along that kind of journey that kind of lead us to that um, kind of never, never say die uh, mindset. So can you speak about, you know, some, some personal experiences, not too personal, you know, I, we're, we're, I'm not sure what you're comfortable with sharing, but, you know, what kind of gave you that, um, you know, don't, don't quit persona. Yeah, I think I think part of it is just being um, resilient. And so my father, uh, he had 13 kids. And so I was the youngest boy. And so 
I think part of the resilience just came from my older brother. I mean, they don't do this now, but I remember we used to be slap boxing and wrestling and, and like, I just had to always fight, you know, cause I was the littlest, you know, being the youngest boy. And so part of that was them just toughening me up a little bit. And so I always had thick skin um, for, for all of those reasons. And then I think, you know, when you, um, when you're not, when you don't have a lot growing up, I think it builds some thickness to that skin as well. And so, um, you know, I'll give you an example. There was one time I really wanted to play football. Um, I was living in Texas right outside of Houston at the time. And I just wanted to play for the Dallas Cowboys at 10 years old. Like I just wanted to be a wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. Like that was, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I know he, he is like, nah, nah, Lawrence like, nah. But like, that was like when I was living in Houston, like, you know, like the Dallas Cowboys, they were, we had the Houston Oilers, but the Cowboys was where it's at, you know? And um, I remember going to Pee Wee Midgets and my, my mother, when it came time to, I think it's like $90 or something to get my, my pads and my uniform and all that. Mom's was like, yeah, ain't got no $90. And I was just like, oh, but I respected it. I understood, right? I was upset. I was just like, all these other kids had, their parents can get them the $90, but that wasn't, that wasn't meant for me. You know what I mean? It wasn't meant for me. And so um, life teaches you part of these things as well. Life can be the master humbler it humbles you, right? And and um, there, there's there's a, there's a saying that you can be a product of your environment or a product of your experiences, right? So environmentally wise, I shouldn't have ended up where I am. Um, I have three patents, multiple trademarks, um, still an entrepreneur. Um, I just, I just know and done a lot of stuff, right? Know a lot of cool people. I know, I know people that's worth nine figures and I know people that can, you know, barely cover their, their mortgage at the end of the month. And people are people to me, you know what I mean? But like, if you're not necessarily just a product of your environment, but you're a product of your experiences, can you take this energy that in the, the situations that are going on in your life and can you... Uh, manifest the things that you think, believe, and say. And so I've been able to do that. You know, anything that I put my mind to, I've been able to do to the point where now I don't even need to work anymore. Um, and so that's been a blessing, you know, growing up from like a trailer park where, I mean, there was por portions of the floor that we couldn't step on or your foot would go through the floor. Like, like real deal, like trailer park. You know what I mean? And now people look at me and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm in a different space, but I still connect with the people that, you know, the have nots because those are the people that need the most. And so I teach them about resilience, not giving up, right? I teach them about um, this Mamba mentality. I teach them about a zero mindset. It's just like that zero mindset. There'll be like, there'll be no chance that I'm ever going to give up. 0% of the time will I give up. That's zero mindset. And you just, you got to practice it though, right? You got to practice it. And sometimes you got to be in situations to uh, get tested. And I've been in many, many situations. I'll give you another example. Um, in the process of getting my doctorate, I lost three brothers, 
I lost three brothers before I graduated and got my doctorate. That that resilient and zero mindset, I couldn't I couldn't back out. I didn't, how I dealt with it is that I didn't tell anybody in school what was going on. I was going to funerals uh, with my my older siblings, and you know all of them died way before decades decades before they were supposed to die. But that mentality was just like I can't give up because they have kids, right? I can't give up because there's other kids out there that I don't even know that need me. You know, so you have to have something that's bigger than you that's driving you. And once you do that, like once you figure out what your purpose is, it's like you can fill out 200 applications, right? And get 200 no's. You only need one yes, <laughs> you know? And so like, you know, that that's my mindset. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I know one of your, one of your big commitments is to increase diversity within industry. And, um, you know, just talking to either past guests or people within my, my own network uh, who are considering moving into industry, um, could you possibly give some, some tips that uh, people who are looking for opportunities could look for in companies where diversity is important? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't necessarily look at uh, companies that donate into NAACP and Black Lives Matters and all that stuff, because a lot of that is just promo. Right. Um, look at companies that's hiring diverse candidates. Uh, what ends up happening, though, from an HR perspective, uh, there's a lot of great candidates. And this is just across the board. Not, I'm not just talking about pharma and corporate America in general. Uh, uh, in corporate America, what happens is that they do get a lot of black, brown candidates. Right. They do get a lot of diverse applicants. But at the end of the day, regardless of how many uh, schools they go to um, for you know these career fairs and how many HBCUs and all this stuff they go to. At the end of the day, a lot of times it's the hiring manager that has the final say, right? Not necessarily HR. And so you can get in the room, you can get the interview, right? But are you going to get the role? So I would say look at it from a corporate you know corporate America standpoint. Look at um, places that's just doing more than donating. Uh, look at companies that are actually hiring because like, uh, I don't care how much money you donating. Like, are you given opportunities? That's a bigger. And so like when you have this network, right, you have a network of people that you know within these organizations. Uh, now you can say, all right, if you're looking for the pharmaceutical industry or whatever role you're looking for, now you have a network and they're going to tell you if, they're hiring, <laughs> like they say they're supposed to be hiring. You know what I mean? Don't read the press releases. Talk to the people. The people that's internal, they'll tell you the real for real. And then you'd be like, oh, okay. And then the other thing is that you want to, um, um, you know, closed mouths don't get fed. So it's up to you not only to do the buckshot approach, like I said, apply for everything, apply for everything, right? Uh, figure out what the territory and job is is later. If, if like if there's a if there's 20 jobs that you got to apply for this week, like apply for them and then figure out some of the the, the intricacies later. <laughs> it's like, but if that job can be based out of your territory, apply for it. It may you may find out later that it's covering half the the, the East Coast. You know what I mean? 
like sometimes you got to do some things to get into to these roles, right? Or sometimes you have to take a non-traditional path like I took. Like, yeah, you, you got to humble yourself. Like, yeah, I have my MD or my PhD or PharmD, but in order to get my foot in the door in the industry or in corporate America where a lot of this diversity isn't happening, um, you may have to go a non-traditional route. Like you may have to go in the cells. And real talk, I made more in sales than I make now. Like, so don't knock. I'm like, if money is your thing, don't knock sales. Because I know some people in sales that make like a lot more than I make. Okay. Uh, I'm able to talk more freely and things like that and use more of my degree um, in medical affairs. But, you know, those bonuses on the sales side can be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they get, they, they're doing, you know, so like, you know, it's based on how the company's doing and like how much sales are going on in their territory and stuff like that. So, and they work, they work extremely hard. So I got a lot of respect for everybody in sales because sales is hard, you know? Um, and at the end of the day, um, I don't even look at them as sales. I look at them as being educators just like me. They just can't talk all the stuff that I can talk. But like, I, I respect, you know, everybody within the organization. Uh, so it just depends on what your goal is. And so I would say apply for everything, um, even if it's something outside of where you're going to fully utilize your degree, because you never know where you're supposed to be. And then utilize your networks and, and contact your people, ask them, are they really hiring like they say they are in these press releases, right? And then say, if I reach out and I find a role, or if you hear about a role, would you be willing to recommend me, right? You got the closed mouth, don't get fed. So you have to, you kind of have to go to the whole route. A lot of people just like, I'm just going to throw in this application and, uh, you know, just pray on it. Like, nah, that ain't how life works, bro. <laughs> nah, that's not going to happen. That's not going to work. Like you have to actually put some time, effort, and energy behind it. Treat it like a business, you know, treat it like a relationship. It's like you got to keep working at something. And so uh, that's what I would recommend. You're a scientist and an entrepreneur. Um, how do you kind of, how did the qualities in your day-to-day from both sides of the coin kind of meet each other? Like, how do you intricate, how do you put your science life and your business life together? And do you have any tips um, for scientists who are thinking about uh, having their own businesses later on as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, great, great question, Ian. I think, you know, they can, um, they can happen um together, right? Um, you know, like my nine to five thing is my nine to five. I give 110%. But when my computer goes off, you know, at the end of the day, I'm no longer in that role. Like I shut it, I shut that down. I go into husband and daddy role and I go into community activist, entrepreneur role. So you can do these things. You know, you just can't, uh, your entrepreneurial side can't impact your nine to five, you know what I mean? So I think part of it is just uh, having a team, like you can't be everywhere. So what you learn is that as an entrepreneur, you you can have people that are working for you doing things. Uh, like you can schedule stuff in your off hours and say, you know, um, we'll be able to connect after I get out of work. But while I'm at work, this is what I need you working on. 
you know, stuff like that. And it's about delegating. And so um, we do, a, we have a nonprofit. And so our nonprofit, we have board of directors that do different um, things. We have um, advocate and panelists that are helping in different capacities. And so for me, it's just like, it's a, it's another, it's a business, right? But it's not a business that I'm, not, we don't make any money doing what we do. And that's just strictly for um, our philanthropic efforts. But, um, you know, if you if you look at anything, right? You look at pharma, for example. Do they put all their eggs in one basket? It's like, nah. They may be in diabetes. They may be in respiratory. They're going to have multiple molecules at different um, stages of the pipeline and different therapeutic areas, right? And then they're they're they acquire other companies, right? And so you got to treat yourself like that as well. So I, I do believe, especially now. Uh, in this environment where um, I think, you know, I, I'm not really in this this capacity, but I think, you know, it's something to consider is uh, multiple income streams. And so there's income streams that you can do where you can you know, hire people to kind of be your advocate and do some things outside of, um, you know, and have some different income streams coming in and you can still give 110% at your job and then not impact it. You just have to make sure what you're doing outside of work is nowhere close to what you're doing at work, right? You can't work in medical affairs and 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 uh, on the science side, and then go try to work on the science side outside of work because that's a conflict of interest. So I would just I would just recommend it being a different industry and uh, making sure you're doing your nine to five stuff before you even think about any entrepreneurial stuff. Personally, I feel like this is one of our best episodes, but I, I feel like I probably always say that. <laughs> but we kind of all feel like all our episodes are the best. I mean, which is really just a credit to you guys, you know, the, all the awesome guests that we've, that we've had on, even, you know, in our in, in our interviewing uh, newness that we are. But yeah. um, just on, on behalf of us three, thank you very much for your time. You know, I really feel like it's a a real, a real gem of an episode. Just not, not only just because we got to hear your personal experiences, but you know, I really feel like you, you did a really good job at just making it simple for the audience. Not just what we do in the science or what you do in the science side at the MSL, but also you know how to get there and just kind of the 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 personality traits and the kind of character building um, ethos that you have to have to kind of succeed in any field. Um, science just being what we talk about in this podcast, but I, that, that's personally where I felt this is one of the best episodes because it's one of the main ones where I feel like no matter what you you do or no, or no matter what you want to do, there's definitely you know several things you can kind of pull pull from it. Um, so just thank you once again. Yeah, and I'll, I'll leave you guys with this. Right, um, I think a lot of people out there chasing titles, they're chasing money. They're chasing the bag. I say chase purpose, right? And so uh, what I would recommend people doing is because purpose, chasing purpose and doing something that you're passionate about, uh, you're going to have a lot more job satisfaction, a lot more longevity. And so like um, sometimes you got to do something just to get into an industry. But I say once you, uh, if you can, you know, from day one, like figure out what you're passionate about in corporate America, whatever you want to work, you know, when you're applying for these roles and, and you love uh, respiratory, maybe it's something that maybe your uh, 
parents, one of them passed with COPD or or something like that, or oncology, right? Maybe you have somebody that had cancer or some kind of rare disease. Figure out what's something that um, you're passionate about, that work is more of a mission, you know? And you, you have a lot more longevity and you'll, you'll do much better with connecting with HCPs because um, if you go in there and you're, you're chasing metrics and money, um, that's not gonna work. People see right through that and you're not going to be happy at the end of the day. So figure out something where work is more like, you know, like right now, real talk. I've had talks with my manager. I was like, they can pay me half and I would still do what I'm doing. Um, Because where I am right now is something that I believe in and something that I'm passionate about. And like, I don't even I don't even care what they pay me to tell you the truth. You know, I do want I do want to keep getting next level. I want to keep getting up to the next level, not for the money, but for the ability to provide others with opportunities, right? And so, like, I want to make sure one of the one of the reasons I'm staying in pharma um, is because I want to impact not only to keep helping uh, HCPs help their patients, which I think is the dopest thing because God is dope, um, but you know, I think that. The other thing is that I want to keep getting to new levels and as I rise, raise others with me, right? Um, In corporate America, there is a problem with diversity and I'm staying uh, here not only to help patients, but also to impact um, lives internally with opportunities, you know, and and make sure that there's more diverse candidates getting um, getting to these opportunities and having these chances. So, uh, but yeah, thank you all for what you're doing. I think it's a great um, platform. I appreciate you all calling on me. And uh, if I got to come back on, man, I could talk for a good another two, three hours. <laughs> Drop some gems on this. Two gems at least. Give us two gems. The brothers. He gave us. He gave us a thousand gems already. But <laughs> I know, right? Any, final, yeah, any like, final, <laughs> final words? Well, 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 I'm gonna tell you since they don't teach this stuff in in school, right? Mm-hmm. So let me show you. Let me show you what I'm what I'm what I'm wearing. That's another one of my uh, trademarks. All right. investing, investing over, over saving, saving for our okay, audio me, uh, listeners. Yeah, yeah. This is this is change this of is, mindset. This is this is going to be uh, something that is really impactful. Um, Compound interest, right? Mm. Um, While well, I got y'all on here, right? This two things that I would say is right out the gate, invest in your 401k. Um, what they don't tell you, so we know that the max 401k contribution is 95, right? A year. Your employer is going to chip in maybe another five, 10, 15,000, but your total max 401k contribution is. 58,000. And how they get that number is they add your 19.5 from pre-tax, whatever your employer gives you, let's say that's 10,000. So that's 29.5. There's another almost 30,000 that you can do after tax. It's called an after-tax 401k or a Roth 401k, yep. right? The benefit of, 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 of investing after tax, I'm going to give y'all, we're going to start talking some finance. The, the benefit of doing that is that Today, historically, we have some of the lowest tax rates in history. Back when Ronald Reagan was president, and this is a book called um, The The Power of Zero. Um, Back when Ronald Reagan was president, he didn't want to make more than two movies because each movie he would make 100,000. 
Anything after 200,000 yearly income, it would be taxed like 93%. Can you imagine 93% tax bracket after 200,000? And the pandemic, we have a lot of debt going on right now. And it's possible that in retirement, we're gonna be at a higher tax bracket than we are right now. So uh, one of the gems I would, I would say is to um, consider not only pre-tax, but also if your employer offers it, max out your pre-tax and then put money into your after-tax 401k, also called your Roth IRA. Nobody tells you about that stuff, um, but it's $58,000. All three of those buckets, the max is 3,000, I'm, I'm sorry, 58,000. The other, the other jewel I'll drop with you is what my shirt talked about, is investing over saving. They have our community um, convinced that we need to have our money in the bank. Nah, do what the banks do. The banks give you 0.5% on your money and what they do with it. They invest in stocks and real estate. They give, they give home loans and make three to 4% over 30 years, right? Which is amortized, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars per home. And then they invest in stocks and bonds and ETFs and things like that, mutual funds, and make another eight to 12% a year, if not more. So my two jewels, besides all the stuff we talked about, is when you get the bag, know what to do with it. We're not just talking about wealth uh, accumulation. We're talking about wealth maintenance. So those two, those two gems right there, on average in the stock market since its inception, you're going to make about 9.8% a year, rounded off to 10. The rule of 72 says whatever interest rate you have, divide 72 by that interest rate. So in the stock market, it's going to, if you divide 72 by 10%, your money's going to double every seven years. In the bank, divide 72 by 0 0.5, it's going to take 140 years for your money to double. That's the, that's the biggest jewel I can drop. It's going to save your life. We're talking about, it's, it's not just about getting somewhere. It's about bringing others with you. So this is how you bring others with you. Or if you got some nieces and nephews out there or future kids, forget Christmas and all this stuff that keeps us in this perpetual spending cycle. Buy your, your family members and your kids stock for Christmas and their birthdays. You know, give the gift that keeps on giving. And that's where I could drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note <laughs> wow we will catch you we'll catch you all next week mic dropped peace peace take care thanks fellas thanks for listening to for the culture podcast with your hosts ian kofi and lawrence if you're new here don't forget to click that subscribe button and follow us on social media help us grow by liking and sharing this episode with your family and friends. Hey, that's all for this episode. See you next time.